If we haven't met, my name is Lauren and um, I get the privilege of uh, being a pastor here at True North and I oversee our global impact. Now on a Sunday morning, I'm normally based at Mullaloo, so you may not be familiar with my face. Um, about six weeks ago, I got to come and share some of the over, overall work of global impact and the many different things that we partner with as a church. And this morning, I had the great privilege of introducing to you Rodney Olson, who is a, uh, the relationship manager um, for Compassion based here in WA. And this morning, he's going to come and share with us about the work of Compassion. And as a church, we sponsor a mums and babies program in Indonesia. And he'll talk to you a little bit about that. But he's going to come and share with us the great work of Compassion. And, uh, and just to come and encourage us and, and know that as you gave earlier in this, this service towards our offering, that each week we put money aside towards our global impact projects, towards the partnerships that we make. Because we recognize that the name of Jesus is not just powerful in our own lives but indeed it reaches far into all the reaches of the globe. So um, why don't you uh, put your hands together and welcome Rodney this morning as he shares with us. Thank you, Rodney. Good morning. Great to be here. And let me just before I get started mention, you would have noticed on your seat uh, a little advertisement for a road show on every couple of seats, I believe. That's just something coming up on the 29th of July, Sunday evening at Subi Church. Some great music by some great performers, as well as hearing a bit more about compassion. So that's the advertisement over. Check that out and, uh, and plan to, to be there. But no, it is good to be here. And I want to start by saying thank you for what you're doing for children living in poverty through compassion. And I know that True North also partners with a range of other organisations that is having a big impact in, in various places around this world. So thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for supplying the resources needed for the Mums and Babies Project in Indonesia that you support as well. It makes a big difference. And some of the people that you may know actually can tell you that it makes a difference. I went to Indonesia last year with a bunch of very good-looking people. We, we'll have a look at them now. There you go. We, we got to visit some, some homes in Indonesia of kids that are being sponsored through this church, and it was fantastic. And beyond that, we went and we visited the, the Mums and Babies Project that True North is supporting. You know what? That is the only mums and babies project in that particular area around Bereng in Indonesia. It's a place where oftentimes parents don't necessarily see a lot of value in education because they want their kids to be off working as soon as possible to, to bring more income into the family. And yet, when we have the opportunity to speak into the lives of mums and babies at that early age, it makes a difference. It gives them a great opportunity. So you're a part of that. Uh, that True North is actually providing all the resources that that church needs to, to help those mums and babies. And that's an incredible privilege that you have to be able to say to, to the pastor and to the church workers there in Bering, Indonesia, guys, we know you have a heart for the gospel. We know you have a heart for reaching mums and babies and children and fathers and the community with the gospel of Jesus, and we're going to resource you to do that. We're going to supply what you need financially so that you can do what you do best. So I want to say thank you, True North Church. You're doing amazing things. And I want to talk today about a story I'm sure you've heard before, but don't switch off, okay? We're going to talk about the story of the Good Samaritan. And... Uh, Today, I guess I want to title what I'm saying is, you go, do likewise. And that's going to be the theme. You go and do likewise. But what does that mean for us? Because oftentimes I think we've reduced the story of the Good Samaritan to a Sunday school story where it's just about 
do good things for some people and be nice. That's about it. And, and we often see pictures of the Good Samaritan and he looks, you know, pretty jolly and, and everything, but the reality is different. We'll see a photo up on the screen which shows you even a sanitised version of what it might have looked like. Because the, the, the man that Jesus talks about in the story of the Good Samaritan, in the parable that he uses to illustrate a point, you know, he would have been completely covered in blood and probably completely naked, lying by the side of the road. But what is this story actually about? When, when Jesus says at the end of this parable to, to this lawyer, you go, do likewise, what is he actually telling him to do and what can we take away from that as well? Our question is, are we going and, and doing likewise? From Luke 10, 23 to, to 37, it says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And worth noting right at the outset that this lawyer that it's talking about is not a lawyer that we would know about of someone who tries co uh, cases in court but actually he would be someone who was an expert in the law of Moses an export expert in in the Torah so he's a religious lawyer knowing the law of of the religion and so he's asking him he's he's asking what Jesus has to say on this and as it says there he's he's putting him to the test He's actually asking, what must I do? What, what's the least I can do to, to, be, to, to get eternal life? You see, he's seeking a legal answer to a spiritual problem here. And it goes on. He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Interesting to see the expert in the law is just wanting to justify himself here. He's wanting to find out how far does this net of neighborhood go? How little can I do to get away, from, uh, away with it? How many boxes do I have to tick so that I can just sort of scrape in? I want to do what the law requires. I want a, a legal answer to this. I want to know how do I actually fill in the right forms, tick the right boxes and, and get my eternal life. He's asking for it from a legal perspective. He's wondering how small he would have to spread that net of loving his neighbor as himself. And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. A Samaritan, a foreigner with different beliefs, with someone who was hated by the Jews, surely he can't be one of these neighbours that I must love. I wonder if that was going through the, the mind of that, that lawyer. And the next day he took out two denarii, which is around two days' wages, and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever you spend, more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. And here's the question that Jesus puts to him. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbour to the man who fell among the robbers? You can imagine the lawyer thinking, oh, you got me there, Jesus. Oh, I've got to answer this truthful. And he says, well, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. Interesting. You see, we, we love to read this story and think about how awful the priest and the Levite were. 
And so we always place ourselves in, in the part of the Samaritan. That's who we would be. But there are other players in this. Of course, there's the lawyer who first asks the question, are we sometimes in that camp? Are we sort of looking what boxes we need to tick? Or are we some of the, the, the characters that Jesus brings forth in this story? Are we the, the priest or the Levite? You see, the priest and the Levite would have been aware of the fact that this man was beaten, he, he was covered in blood, and if they touched him, it would make them unclean, especially if he was dead, because he's lying there, as Jesus says in the parable, he's lying half dead on the side of the road. So there wouldn't have been any movement, they're seeing a man, they're, they're not even sure whether he's the same nationality as them, because he's covered in blood, he's covered in waste, and, and they're thinking, we're not sure. He might be dead, he might be dead so best not to touch him, because that would make us unclean because they're trying to fulfill the, the righteous requirements of the law by not becoming unclean and, and touching him. So their behaviour is consistent with what they're standing for. And I wonder if sometimes we're more keen to, to be seen as godly in the eyes of other people than we are of being seen as godly in the eyes of God himself. That's what was happening with this priest and Levite. No, no, I need to walk away from this because I don't know what it might entail if I get myself involved, so best to just pass by. wonder if we ever do that. Loving your neighbour as yourself is something that we all want to do. In fact, in Mark 12, 30 and 31, it spells it out. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. But in a world that is full of need, this can seem so overwhelming, can't it? seems completely overwhelming and so we sort of shrink back a little bit because in the news and, and we're just flooded with it all the time, uh, it just seems like there's so much need. How do I love my neighbour? How do I do that effectively? What if my neighbour is someone I disagree with? What if my neighbour is someone who's very different to me? What if my neighbour is antagonistic towards me and they're not going to appreciate what I do for them anyway? Does that let us off the hook? Does that let us say, no, no, that, that's not a box that I have to tick. I can walk away from that. Thankfully, God gives us his word and, and gives us strength through the spirit to actually take action where we need to. You see, there's a few things about the Good Samaritan I want to draw out. He chose to see the need. The Good Samaritan chose to see the need. He was moved in his soul by the need in front of his eyes. He saw a need and he chose to see it. He saw the stranger, he took pity on him, he didn't just look away. And that's what Jesus did in Matthew 9:36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And loving the Lord God with all our heart means allowing him to touch our emotions and saturate our soul with compassion. We've got to continue to choose to see the need. We've got to choose to, to say, yeah, I, I will see that as difficult as it is, knowing that we serve a God who can help us to, to put some sort of frames of reference around that. And if it still causes us to be troubled, maybe he's wanting us to be troubled about this so that we take action. We can't look away. We need to choose to see the problem. And the Good Samaritan did more. The Good Samaritan answered the cry. It wasn't enough just to see the need and have pity. The Good Samaritan chose to answer the man's cry and to take action. The Samaritan was aware that there was danger, there was inconvenience, but he chose to make a difference. He chose to answer the cry. You see, there was risk for the Samaritan. He didn't know whether the same robbers that beat up this man were just waiting around the corner for their next victim. 
So there was risk. There was that physical risk that he didn't know what was, what was about to happen. There was the financial risk because as the, the parable tells us, he says, here's two denarii and I'm going to give more money. There was that financial risk. There was an emotional risk. How is this guy going to respond? You know what? Not every time we help someone do they respond well. Does that stop us from being the good Samaritan, from going and, and doing likewise? It shouldn't, but human nature tells us that it does so often. And I think we're all guilty of it. We sometimes give out help in the same measure as to which it'll be received. And of course, that's when we're actually doing it for our own gratification. But we, we've got to say, no, no, we, we will answer the cry even though it comes at great risk. And at Compassion, we give people the opportunity to, to take action against poverty and sponsor a child in extreme need. Sponsorship, uh, sponsorship is a powerful way of helping your global neighbour, of reaching out to a child that you may never even get the opportunity to meet. The other thing is the Good Samaritan overcame difference. There was a lot of difference here. The Good Samaritan wasn't hindered by the fact that he was different to the man who's lying on the side of the road. He simply had a heart to make a difference for him. He saw the need, he took action, and he overcame that difference. He was willing to cross political, racial, cultural, social barriers and risk prejudices and fears of others because, of course, he's stepping in to help this guy. It's not just an interaction going on between the two of them, but others looking on saying, you're a Samaritan, why are you helping him? Why on earth are you doing that? Why would you want to help him? They hate us. He was willing to, to risk that. He overcame that difference. And he didn't see someone in need and say, I prefer to help this kind of person or that kind of person. He saw the need, he chose to act, and he overcame that difference. How can you help your neighbour? Both the person in need on your own doorstep, people in your own community, and people overseas through organisations like Compassion. What has God placed in your hand that you can help others, that you can help the poor. Verses 34 and 35 of the parable tell us that the good Samaritan didn't just patch up the injured man on the side of the road and move on. Instead, he put him on the donkey, he took him to the inn, he said, I'm not the best placed person to, to care for him at this stage, but I know somewhere that they can look after him, so I'll take him to the inn, I'll give them some money, I'll promise to give more money. And so he, he took him there and he said, I'm going to come back. I'm going to pay more money. Until this healing is complete, I'm going to keep coming back and I'm going to provide what resources you need. He refused to give up on the man. This was a stranger. He could have just sort of, okay, I've done my bit. I, I helped him with his wounds. Maybe I'll give a day's wage and then just leave him and other people can help him from now on. He said, no, I'm going to go the full course on this. I'm refusing to give up. And let me say, if you're someone who is, is sponsoring a child through compassion, don't give up continue to to sponsor that child speak words of life into their life so that they may know who Jesus is so that you can stay the course and refuse to give up sometimes we become half-hearted when when we're helping people both locally and overseas but Galatians 6 9 says and let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up we need to continue to help and I see a lot of parallels in the story of the Good Samaritan and the way that compassion is working. Compassion works to bring a hope that is more powerful than poverty. That's what we're doing, bringing a hope that is more powerful than poverty. You see, at Compassion, we choose to see the need. We look around and we see that there are 385 million children in this world living in extreme poverty. And we say that is unacceptable. We see that need. But more than that, we step in and we say, 
we're going to answer that cry. We're going to overcome the difference and, and we are going to refuse to give up. And the Samaritan in the story, in this parable that Jesus tells, the Samaritan does something very significant. And I touched on it briefly, but what he does is he says, I'm not the best placed person to care for this injured man. I need to step in right now. I need to provide him with the first aid and get him to somewhere that can look after him. But I, I can't give, his, give him any ongoing help. So he takes him to the inn and he says, here's some money and I'm going to keep giving money until the healing's complete. And that's what we do with compassion. We recognize that those of us here in Australia are not the best placed people to care for those children living in poverty. Who's the best placed person? It's the local church. It's the local church in their area. And so we say, look, we see the need. We're going to step into it. We're going to make a difference. Here's a couple of days wages and we're going to keep coming. We're going to, we're going to keep on with this child. We're going to write letters to them. We're going to let them know that they're loved. We're going to let them know about Jesus. And we're, we're going to provide whatever is needed. We will resource you. You're the best people to take care of this child, but we'll resource you so that you can do that. And that's what compassion does. We recognize that we're not the best people for this task, but we know how to resource those who are. And those who, who went to see Compassion's work in Indonesia last year will tell you firsthand just how well-equipped these people are to step into the gap and make a difference for those in poverty. You see, those children in poverty, they believe the lies of poverty, and those lies are strong. The lies say, look around, everything is broken. Everything around you is rubbish, and you're rubbish too. You're broken too. You will never get out of this. There is never a way out of poverty. You are worthless. We look and we say, there is a child who's creating, created in the image of God himself. There is a child of, of infinite worth, there is a child for whom which Jesus was prepared to die. We cannot leave them believing the lies of poverty. We need to step in with a hope that is more powerful than poverty. We need to step in with a hope that says Jesus is the answer for this. Jesus is the one that not just brings hope for tomorrow, but brings an eternal hope. That's what we're about. So when you sponsor a child through compassion, you're seeing a child who is living in deplorable circumstances and you're saying, I can't leave this child in this situation. I need to see the need. I need to step into it. I need to answer the cry. You're saying, I will trust the care of this child to the local church in their area, but I will provide for them. And I'm going to continue to check in on them, see how they're going. And you know what? There's a big difference between what the Samaritan was doing. When Jesus says, go and do likewise, maybe he did, maybe we didn't. Maybe he didn't. We don't know. But there's a big difference between that and what we get to do. Because he wanted to tick boxes. He wanted to know, what's the legal requirement? What must I do in order to have eternal life? What can I do? I'll, I'll try and work toward it. And of course, that was never going to happen anyway. You can't work your way to eternal life. But we get to step into those situations out of joy. And one of the joys I have had is meeting one of my sponsored children, and that's Chena. I met Chena and her mother, Christina, in the Philippines a couple of years ago. She looks a bit bigger than that now. She, uh, she turned 14 just two days ago. And she's growing up and she, she sends us letters. And, and of course, we like to think, oh, we're, we're the ones doing all the helping. We're, we're providing lots of care and, and you know, we're, we're helping this person out. And Chena writes me letters saying, you know what? I'm praying for you and your family. She's ministering to us. That in, we're ministering to her in the way that we can, which is providing resources. She's ministering to us. She's praying for us. And that's powerful. And you know what? I am absolutely convinced 
the most loving thing that I've ever done for my own two children is, is put them in a place where they get to know about Jesus Christ. So we talk about Jesus at home. I've always made sure that we, we get along to, to a church that preaches about Jesus because that sets them up for a hope that reaches into eternity. And, and both my kids have accepted Jesus. Both of them are serving him. And it's just a delight to see them continuing to, to grow in that. They're set up for eternity. But you know what? I wouldn't be much of a dad if, if I didn't also provide them with health care, if I didn't also provide them an education, if I didn't provide them with food. So I do that as well because they're my kids and I love them. And we do the same for Chena. The most loving thing that our family does for China is put her in a place where she gets to hear about Jesus, where she hears the gospel and has the opportunity to respond. But we need to provide for her education, for her health care and all those other things that a child needs. And we write her letters and say, you know what? We love you and we know that God loves you. And that's what we want. We know that she's set for eternity because she has come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. But she also needs help with the physical, the day-to-day, the, the situation that she finds herself in. And so that's what we do. And we do it with joy. It's not a ticking the boxes kind of thing. It's exciting to be able to, to build into someone else's life like that. A few things about compassion. If you haven't heard of us before, or maybe as a refresher if you have, uh, we are Christ-centered. We believe that every child should be able to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are child-focused, and that means that every child is known, loved, and protected in our programs. And we are church-based. And those who went to Indonesia with me last year will tell you this, that when you turn up at the local church, you don't see a big sign saying compassion, because we're not there to lift up the name of compassion. We're there to lift up the name of Jesus. What you actually see is the name of the local church. And it says that the local Jesus followers, the local Christians, the local church, are the ones caring for people in the community. And because of that, we're currently working with around 1.8 million children through 25 countries around the world. And if you reckon that's good, how about this? Because of that, because of the connection with the local church, every day around 400 children accept Jesus Christ as Saviour. That'll happen today and tomorrow and the next day and the day after and the day after that, 400 every day. And for anyone who, who might tell you, yeah, but, but sponsorship just helps the one child. We want to help everyone. Our research has shown that for every child who accepts Jesus in a compassion program, whether it be siblings or, or parents or others in the community, around four others also accept Jesus. That's 2,000 people every day. And again, that is not to lift up compassion and say, isn't compassion wonderful, but it's to say, you know what, people in Australia will tell you that God is dead, that God is inactive, and we see him being active every day. We see the way that he is continuing to build into lives of those who are open and, and are hungry for him. I want you to take a, a little bit of a trip with me just now. We're going to just sit and watch a few minutes of video of the story of one child in Indonesia. Nama saya Santial. Anak saya empat orang laki-laki.
Nenek bisa no aike warma alotin dulu, nabi bisa urus. Atau dene siam sekolah. SMA tidak sama dene. Daftar SD, daftar kelas satu. Ini kan pintar. Saya punya harapan dia jadi manusia yang baik. Peringatan-peringatanmu ajaib Itulah sebabnya jiwaku memegangnya Sinarilah hambamu dengan wajahmu dan ajarkanlah ketetapan-ketetapanmu kepada Dan ketika saya melihat kondisi yang dialami oleh keluarga Alon, tentu kita tidak bisa tinggal diam. Keluarga ini perlu diberikan perhatian khusus. Keluarga ini perlu untuk ditolong. Jadi baik, jadi untuk mempersiapkan diri untuk terselenggaranya kegiatan atau program yang sudah dibangun kerjasamanya itu saja sudah suka cita dan saya sudah berpikir punya mimpi ke depan punya harapan ke depan bahwa tentu anak-anak ini masa depannya akan bagus the relationship with the sponsor is precious because someone else they don't know they care about them I see that God loves them the same as I am. It's life-changing if they have sponsor. So we have to ask God to be involved in that. I believe that if you start with children, you can change the generation, you can change the nations. I want to tell you something really cool about that video because that was shot I think about 18 months back or so and now Compassion has moved into to that area and is resourcing the local church to do what Compassion does and to do what the local church does and since then Alon's mum has had an operation on one of her eyes and for the first time ever she's been able to see her young boy and for the first time in a long time she's been able to see her family. This is making a difference for more than, than just the children that are, are being sponsored. You see, there is something that is more powerful than poverty for a child. It is the love of Jesus, it's the encouragement of a sponsor and the care of their local church. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we won't simply offer someone some bread for tomorrow when we can offer that bread for tomorrow, but also the living bread for eternity. We won't be content with offering just a, a cup of water for tomorrow when we can offer that water for tomorrow, but also the living water. That means that they will never have to thirst again. How can we who love Jesus only give hope for tomorrow when there's a living hope, a hope that is more powerful than the lies of poverty, that has certainty 
for eternity. That's what we want to offer for these children. So for the sake of the gospel, let's share this hope that is more powerful than poverty with as many as we can. In the words of Jesus in that parable, you go, do likewise. Where do you place yourself in that story of the Good Samaritan? Don't be like the lawyer who's ticked boxes off and said, well, I've, I've, I've done enough. Choose to see the need. Choose to, to hear that cry and step into it and, and make a difference. You have that opportunity to, to step in and, and say, yep, I, I need to make a difference. And I'd ask you to, to go do likewise in sponsoring a child today. You, you'll see that there are forms out on the table just like this. And this is little Raphael. And on the front, there's the picture of Raphael. And there's the, uh, his, his date of birth. It's also the country he comes from, which in this case is Indonesia. Because all the children that are available for sponsorship today come from the region that True North sponsors kids in. So you can be a part of transforming a region. That, that's an incredible opportunity that you have as a church to say, we decide that we will help transform this particular region of Indonesia. So it's got his details there. And on the back, there's a, a text, uh, a number that you can text to, and there's the child number. I should say that for all these children, of course, they're from Indonesia, and the first two characters in that uh, number are actually letters, I-O. Uh, so you'll get help out on the table of how to do this, but you need to text I-O and the number to the number that's there. You'll get a text back that tells you how to follow through and you can follow the process on your own phone. If you prefer to do it with paper, you're welcome to do that. Uh, you can talk to us and, and we'll be able to help you out with that. But I'd encourage you to sponsor a child, to go and do likewise. And you know what? I think there may be just a couple of people in this room, and this is not for everyone, but this is maybe a couple of people that for you today, your decision is not to sponsor a child, but is how many children? That you have the capacity to sponsor a number of children, whether that be two or three or ten. But let's reach as many children as we can with the hope that is more powerful than poverty. Thanks. Thank you, Rodney. Well, I hope you've been encouraged and challenged by that. It's always uh, uplifting when we can gather and we can see what it is that we're already a part of. But it would be amiss for us this morning to not then ask ourselves a question, what is it that God's asking you to go and do likewise? And I would really encourage you, if you have the means and you are able, to really go out at that table and uh, consider sponsoring a child. It's really such a worthwhile, and uh, you could talk to Molly or, or um, Dale or Michelle or Jeff, any of the guys, guys that have been on the trip, and I went a few years ago. When you go and you see the work on the ground, it is absolutely breathtaking to see the local church just like us serving their community and the community has no questions about where the help's coming from they all know it comes from Jesus and it's actually such a wonderful thing to be a part of and you know only a few weeks ago I found my own kids at home it's a rare moment so please don't think I'm trying to kind of show off or anything like that but they were at the table writing to our sponsor kids and I was just like yes I had one of those moments as mum was like I think I'm doing okay <laughs> I think we might actually be the family that I'm hoping to be and they were so encouraged as they, they found the letters that I'd opened during the week and they had a little read and I think they realised, oh no, we get to write back. And, you know, it was so cute as the little questions are like, you know, I play basketball, what's your favourite sport? You know, it's simple, simple letter writing sometimes. But, you know, my kids were so 
excited to get the letter. I can only imagine how that excitement gets reciprocated. I had to then explain to them that it will go to Indonesia and get translated so we won't hear back from them next week. <laughs> I think they were quite hoping for a letter soon. But so can I just encourage you, it's such a worthwhile and an uplifting thing to be a part of and, and a privilege for us as a church to sponsor children in a region. You know, talk to any, any of the guys that went on that team. The joy at being able to go and see child after child after child after child that was sponsored from people from our church was absolutely gobsmacking. Such a privilege to see us as a gathering of believers. You know, just little old us here over in Perth, recognising that there's a whole section, a whole area in Barang in Indonesia that's not going to look the same because we care enough to, to go and do likewise. So please be encouraged and don't let it just stop right now. But I challenge you to challenge yourself and be um, asking that question. So why don't you stand now as we get ready to close our service and we're going to finish on a, a song of praise this morning. So why don't you stand?